Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. I have allergies, so I have a chronic cough that's Mm. a delight on the radio. I can top that anyway because I, yesterday, had a routine colonoscopy and endoscopy. Uh, so I think I feel on like the I, radio? Not, on the radio. If only we could do that. Uh, oh although I don't God. think there's like, a, you know, I don't think there's a lot you'd get. I mean, maybe you'd hear the doctor going, are those car keys? I don't know. What are the, what are those? <laughs> but um, remember, you know, every now and then there's a news story. I haven't heard one in years, but there used to be news stories occasionally about doing some sort of where they put like a camera inside somebody and they found like earrings. <laughs> Sometimes more than one earring. Like, okay, that's just a horrible idea. But like weird things, like there's a section of your stomach that puts the stuff that like there's no way you should digest this. And so it just stays inside you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But what what was it doing there in the first place? Well, that's a very good question. And in the particular case, they never explained it. Yeah. There was actually an Alan. Yeah. There was an Alan Sherman song. Are you? You're probably not old enough to remember Alan Sherman. I love Alan Sherman. Yeah. So he did, I, I, he's uh, hello mother hello father. Yeah, but he did a parody of Ceci Bon that was icy bones. It was about it was a guy looking at X-rays and uh, oh, I don't know that one. And uh, so he says, and in case you use pay telephones, there's two dollars in change among your <laughs> lovely bones. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, all he, right. Um, oh no, I he, like uh uh. The one oh I can't remember it with the names. The names? Uh uh Ooh. um Oh I can't think of the name yeah. of it. He 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 was he's great. We have a because I, I bought a CD of his because I wanted my kids to hear, you know, Camp Granada mm-hmm. and then it turned out uh we got a big kick out of uh, a bunch of other stuff on there. Oh though there's brilliant stuff. By the way, I'm talking about I'm as well ease into the interview here. I'm talking to Paula Poundstone. You probably have heard, you've heard the voice you already know. I mean she's She's in the Comedy Hall of Fame. She's a regular panelist on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me uh, and is the author of Paula Poundstone. There's nothing in this book that I meant to say. Uh, most recently, she was the voice of Forgetter Paul in the film Inside Out. I'm going to be here all day listing credentials. But the main thing to know, she's at the Fox Theater uh, at Foxwoods Casino on Friday, February 19th at 8 p.m. And you can buy tickets at the Foxwoods website or we'll put a phone number up on the website for you to call too if you want those tickets. Get those tickets. So as long as we're talking about this, were you – did you grow up at all as a comedy nerd? Like I had Smothers Brothers and Jonathan Winters and Bob Newhart records. I had vinyl records that, I, and I would sit alone in my room listening to comedy over and over again. Were you that Absolutely. kid? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh heavens, yeah. And there was, I mean, uh, there were great comedy albums back then. When I left home, I stole every one of my parents' um, Bill Cosby albums. We had uh, Smothers Brothers. Albums we had um, uh, at, at Alice's Restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Arlo Guthrie, um, and then later, let's see. I know I have a, uh, I know I have a Jonathan Winters. Oh, and Lily's albums. Yep. Uh, with Ernestine Tomlin. Right. They came uh, a little later, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there's a really great one called Modern Scream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're, one where she does Lud and Marie, 
uh, which is, there's this teenager that lives with I, I don't know if it's her parents or her grandparents and the, and they're they're Lud and Marie and I truly uh, uh, laughed till I cried over that because they sounded so much like my parents. <laughs> well, I think also if you're a comedy nerd in in ways that the average person would not understand, like I had friends who would listen to you know Jonathan Winter's album once, but they wouldn't listen to it a hundred times, kind of relishing oh, yeah. every pause, every breath. I mean, Bill Cosby, who obviously is a somewhat discredited currency these days, but I mean those those long monologues about the chicken heart and stuff like that, you really could listen to them if you were that kind of person. A long time picking up every little pause and grunt and 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 intonation. You know what? They were brilliant albums. Yeah, they were brilliant albums. Um, when I was in, I, I was a, a kind of a, a screwed up teenager, and I was in a residential program for screwed up teenagers, and you know all the other screwed up teenagers had, uh, you know. We had these little dormitory style rooms and and we had uh, you know posters of rock and rollers up on everybody's wall. Uh, I had um, Lily Tomlin at that time had just done that the, the first Broadway show that she did and uh, and she was on the cover of Time magazine mm-hmm. and I had taken the magazine and carefully cut out every picture of Lily in the articles <laughs> and you know, Using my uh, ticky tack stuff <laughs> to put things on the wall, you know, I had little Lily Tomlin images all over my wall, and also Gilda Radner uh, was huge right then. And uh, same thing, I had little, you know, Gilda Radners. I had the Carol Burnett. She was at one point on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. There's a very beautiful picture of her, actually. And I had that, like, on display in my room. I was the only kid that didn't have musicians on their wall. For me, it was all um, these really great comics. And actually, the other thing I did at that same time of life, I had just gotten turned on to Bob and Ray. Oh, yeah. um, The great uh, radio comedy team. And they had just come out with a book, uh, Soon before I went to this residential program, it was called Write If You Get Work. Mm -hmm. And it had their scripts in it. Yeah. And having heard them, not a lot, but a little bit at that point in my life, um, I knew how they said what they said. And so I used to read aloud to the other girls in my room Mm. from this book. They thought I was a genius. They Mm. thought, like, I was bringing this to this. Um, They had no idea that, you know that there were these really brilliant guys that had already done this. Uh, uh, and and th- and then when I get a little bit older, you know, I sought out every every Bob and Ray I could find. And uh, my kids, too, are enormous Bob and Ray fans. They are just so damn funny. Um, I should tell you, first of all, that uh, I owned that book, too. I believe it was called Right If You Get Work and Hang By Your Thumbs. Uh, well, which perhaps was, it was. Yeah, well, I think that was their sign-off on their old radio show. One of them would say Right If You Get Work, and the other one would say and Hang By Your Thumbs. <laughs> it, it is my, well, I should say that we're recording this for future uh, use uh, a few days from now, and it's my uh, unpleasant duty to tell you that Bob Elliott at the age of 92 passed today. I just, somebody is just telling me oh, that right now. Oh, my so. gosh. Um, huh. but, uh, but Well, if he lived in 92, good for him. Right. Good run. Uh, 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 and yeah, that is a good run. And, and uh, you know, I'll tell you something. I volunteer in a nursing home. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have no idea how his, how his end was. Um, but uh, we do not do end of life very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, um, uh, for him to, you know, 
uh, better to make it to 92 than, than, than 105. What do you do at the nursing home? Do you do material at the nursing home? Or? Um, no. You know, originally when I went, I, I thought, well, I will go read to people, you know. Yeah. Um, and I work in the activities room, and I always say to people, don't let that word activities fool you. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like teaching in a one-room schoolhouse. The cognitive abilities are so wildly different right. that there really is no one thing Mm-hmm. that you could do with everyone you couldn't read them to read to them because there's you know there's only a handful of people that are going to be able to follow what you're reading um and you know some of them will sleep and this will be insulting um i'll tell you the one thing I, i've been there for about uh, 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 uh about a year a little over a year the one thing that i f- i brought to them that i feel very proud of is uh, they, 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 all the people that are there in the activities room are in wheelchairs, mm-hmm. and they are sitting around two different um, big round tables. And um, I had the idea to bring in a balloon and play the game where you just keep the balloon in the air. Mm-hmm. And this game. I wish I could, you know, it's it would be illegal to photograph them right. because it's a medical facility and there's privacy issues, obviously. But I wish I could, um, not to blow anybody's cover, but just to, the. it is so funny and so much fun and so joyous. And a lot of them really get into it. Mm. it it's, they are, it is as, as athletic as they become. Uh, I mean, some people that were staring lifelessly for almost the whole time I've known them uh, come to life over the balloon game. And uh, I wish I could make baseball cards of them and show them in their positions, you know, and keep their stats, uh, you know, for how many balloons get by them and, 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 and what's their what's their strong, you know, uh, uh, you know, because they have different styles of hitting the balloon. Mm. Uh it's very, very fun. But anyway, so... Uh, no, I've been involved in paramutual betting on those balloon games. Uh, I had uh, I put $100 on Mrs. Elderberry to keep that balloon up in the air uh, and lost quite Yeah, a there's been scandal. Yeah, no, there has. There yeah. has been. There, yeah, yeah, there's been... There's uh, been uh, attorney, there's, uh, attorney generals in a lot of states are now looking into that whole thing. <laughs> um, so uh, so be, brace yourself for trouble is what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a good thing I, I'm not in any photographs there. <laughs> That's right. You could just deny until you, until you said this on the radio, you could have denied you had anything to do with it. Yeah, well, I'm a comic. I make stuff up. <laughs> That's right. So, um, you know, I I I know that you've often in the past done like going back into the early '90s. I, I saw you do political stuff on the Tonight Show. But you know, when I first started to hear you on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, initially it seemed to me as though perhaps you didn't read the New York Times cover to cover going into those shows. And then there's been this evolution. I know there's a lot of joking on the show about when Paula wins and all this kind of stuff. But it's, have you become a more avid news consumer as a result of doing that show and, and, and realizing that you can be even funnier if you know more? Um, uh, you know, the things that trip one up on <laughs> Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yeah. Um, well, sometimes it's just pressure. Yeah. Because uh, you know the lightning, yeah. the lightning round can be intense, and right. of course there's a lot on the line. Right, exactly. Um, but the things that trip you up 
are really the news of the weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what I often don't know about is, uh, and now I have like a couple of stock answers because I figure, you know, at least 50% of the time it's going to be the correct answer. Um, <laughs> uh, lemurs down their pants right. is a big one that I use. Yeah. And that, you know, it's hit or miss, but certainly it hits sometimes. Um, There's a whole lemur rights organization that does not find that stuff funny, by the way. I, I'm, trust me, NPR hears from them. <laughs> um, they, yeah, they do. Um, so, no, I have... I began to pay attention to the news um, when, let me think, how old might I have been? I was probably about 23 years old, maybe. And I lived briefly, uh, really for a few weeks one summer, with uh, Timothy Leary. What? And What? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a very nice man, mm. by the way. Very nice man. Um, I had kind of run out of a place to stay, mm-hmm. and I was friends with he and his wife. And we were at a party one night, and I was helping do the dishes in the kitchen, and I was talking to the host of the party about, you know, my travails, my uh, the fact that I... And uh, Tim Leary's wife uh, said, well, you could come stay with us. And uh, uh, <laughs> it turned out later... I don't think she thought that was a great idea, but at the time she did. And I got to tell you, when I pulled up in my 65 Mustang with, you know, everything I owned in it uh, and feeling pretty um, demoralized, you know, that I didn't have a place to stay and that I was, uh, you know, relying on the kindness of of others, uh, I pull into the driveway and and Tim Leary in what is was really characteristically a Tim Leary thing to do. He comes out to greet me. I get out of the car. He opens his arms and he says, welcome to one of your homes on the planet. (laughs) It was such a kindness. Uh, It was a very nice man. So anyways, while I lived there, I was uh, working clubs. So I would either be somewhere around the country working in a club or I would be home uh, at that time in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, only for one or two nights a week. But on the nights that I was home... I would go to the improv in Hollywood usually and, uh, you know, and hang out and, and maybe do, you know, tell some jokes. And um, I, I kept a, you know, a pretty late night schedule and uh, and was perhaps a little bit slothful as well. So, But in the evening, I generally took a nap, like around 5 o'clock or so. I probably was in bed. And Tim would come into the room and go, the news is on. <laughs> and... You know, I don't know how many times he had done this, and I would just sort of roll over. I'd say thank you, and then roll over, and that was the end of it. And finally, one evening, he did this, and I said, "Let me ask you, why do you do that?" <laughs> and he said, "He said, y- y- you mean you don't watch the news?" And I said, "No, I don't." Uh, and and he just couldn't believe that. And I said, "I said, well, you know, for me, Tim, at this point, because I've never really watched the news." It would be like coming in in the middle of a movie. Uh, I said, I have no idea what's going on, and so nothing makes sense to me. And so he said, you come in and watch with us, and anytime you have a question, we will answer it. And this is before, you know, you could tape things and stop and start them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of times one news story was rolling while they were filling me in on the on the last one. So it was a slow process. But that is how I was introduced to watching the news. And then... 
the um, Iran-Contra uh, Iran scandal mm -hmm. took place, and I was glued to the television over that, watching, you know, just the whole thing. And I had Iran-Contra scandal trading cards, which uh, they would have a picture of a well, character that's involved on one side and then their, sort of their stats on the back. Yeah, I had the, very... uh, the Ollie North rookie card was really worth a lot of money. Uh, I, 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 I was, uh, they had a potted plant. It's <laughs> a potted plant, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so in, the, in this way, I, I became involved. So by the, yeah, by the time I got to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, uh, no, I'm not an expert on the news ever, but I was an avid um, news hour watcher. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I certainly listened to morning edition on the mornings that I could, uh, but a lot of times, you know, it wasn't the big news. It wasn't the real news mm -hmm. that. Um, plus, let me just say this, and maybe this is sour grapes. The others cheat. <laughs> I, I see another scandal. First, it was the balloons in the nursing homes. Now we're yep. about to hear the uh, wait, wait, don't tell me cheating scandals. Well, no one ever talks about the steroids. Yeah. But, uh, you know, take one look at Mo Rocca. Right. You see it. Yeah, he's a little like Rafe Fiennes in Quiz Show. You know, you feel as though there's something else going on there, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, you know, the, you know, the doping and the, and the oh, pumping yeah. up. No. It's, it's all over the guy. No, there's going to be congressional hearings. I've heard about that. You're listening to an interview I recorded recently with Paula Poundstone. It was supposed to be a 20-minute segment, but it sprawled so marvelously that we made it a whole show. Keep listening when we come back. My mom was very young when she had kids. I know when I was born, she was uh, three. You'll never know the embarrassment of being dropped off at school in the Barbie dream car. <laughs> I don't necessarily want to blame my mom, but I do, in fact, talk to a shrink every day. <laughs> I'll tell you something about talking to a shrink, too. You really can't pay someone to take an interest. <laughs> There's nothing worse than realizing that piece of paper your shrink is writing on is a crossword puzzle. <laughs> It was a dead giveaway. I told her something about my mom. She said, mm-hmm. And who played 99 on Get Smart? I said, well, Barbara Feldon, why? Mm-hmm. And how do you feel about that? So I guess I'm kind of pissed. Hey, I'd always wanted Karen Valentine to have that one. to Timothy Leary's house for just one second? Yeah. Uh, I mean, not physically. But um, was there ever a night where you sort of said, wow, the spaghetti sauce is really great. What's in it? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think they fed me anyways. Uh, I think I was on my own with that. Um, I'll tell you, they, they were, you know, they were older than me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I forget how much older than me, but probably, geez, if I was 23, it was eh, probably a good, solid 40 years. I would think, um, you know, he was a gray-haired older guy. He kept himself in, in, in real good physical shape, and he had a very, very happy, uh, youthful face, but he was an older guy. And, uh, you know, I would, I would come in at night trying to be respectful that I was in, you know, somebody else's home and, and not make a lot of noise, and I would sort of tiptoe in as quietly as I as I could, and sometimes while, you know, sitting maybe having a drink in the kitchen, I would hear 
their car pull in after me. Mm. Um, I mean, they they had a lot more. Uh, <laughs> they, they never behaved like elderly people. <laughs> they 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 had a lot more stamina than did I. So this is at a time when you were um, a young comedian, right? And and yeah. and so this was a time of great duress, right? You you had it's funny because we just got through doing a show in which there was a whole series of IHOP uh, jokes that were made. But did you work at IHOP? I did not at that point in my life. I yeah. worked at IHOP when I was 18 years old. Yeah. I, I had gone to, to Orlando, Florida, because I wanted to be a bear in the Disney World's parade. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I got gotta, down there. you got to have a dream, right? I did have. You know what's really funny mm. is, okay, so IHOP, uh, I, I mean, uh, Disney did not hire me, uh, needless to say. Um, I, first of all, I didn't have a car or a place to live when I went to apply for a job there. Mm. Um, I I was I was so driven in my dream that it never occurred to me to have those things in place first. I went straight from the Greyhound bus station right. to Disney, mm-hmm. and they, the the guy doing the uh, interviewing the, the the like HR guy was appalled. <laughs> and it's funny when I went to fill out the application, it said address, yeah. and I think I wrote Massachusetts mm-hmm. um, because that was the last address I had. Right. And uh, he just couldn't figure that out. And they had, and I, um, I had no idea coming from Massachusetts, which is a, a small state, and things tend to be clustered in in one area. You know, uh, Orlando was very, very, very spread out. Um, and so, how I would get around just never even occurred to me. <laughs> I thought, well, I'll walk, mm-hmm. or you know, because I walked everywhere back then. You know, and it turned out so I had to hitchhike. Um, and, and it's illegal to hitchhike on Disney property, mm-hmm. or it was back then, and the driveway was three miles long or something like that, or maybe yeah. it was a mile long. I can't remember anymore. It was long. Um, so I would, I would get on the tram that takes you out to the parking lot uh, and, uh, uh, and begin. I, I would just sort of find somebody to look friendly and go over and start talking to them. And then I would sort of you know have a little chat for a while. And by the time we got to the parking lot, I would have told them that I had no car and no way to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, generally speaking, these people would drive me at least out to the highway uh, where I would be with my suitcases. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't have a lot of, you know, I didn't have a lot of frontal lobe at, <laughs> at 18. No one does, by the way. Um, but I, I was particularly uh, had a big deficit in that area in my planning. So. I ended up getting a job at the International House of Pancakes on the Orange Blossom Trail, uh, 11 at night to 7 in the morning. And uh, it was uh, – it, it rivals for the worst job I've ever had. It, it was it was pretty much agony. I, I actually rescued a man one night. I pulled a man's face out of his over-easy <laughs> eggs. And uh, he uh, – had I not been there, he might have drowned. In his eggs. In his eggs. Because, you know, the over-easies – you know, you get the there's you a get viscosity. The, uh, there's a viscosity, right? Yeah, you get the the the, the liquefied uh, uh, yolk, and and that you know it does it doesn't have to be deep mm-hmm. uh, to to drown. There's been tests. They've done studies. They've uh, done studies. Trust me. They yeah. better wait. Wait. Don't tell me. Uh, um, yes, right. They use lemurs actually to do those studies. 
and they just put their faces right into the eggs. Uh, and the lemur rights society gets that's the kind of thing that really gets them upset too. This is, they have a letter writing campaign right now. Don't you find that's really? I mean, we we've had a conversation on the air a couple of days ago about this, but that that really there there are now groups capable of being offended by almost anything, uh, by any joke that you might tell. The most harmless, innocuous joke. I made a joke about shellfish allergies, and like I heard from you know oh the shellfish allergy something something. <laughs> wow. I mean, do you, do you get that? Do you find they're, they're sort of, you know, the most, this, you don't, for the most part, do, you know, you're not a shock comic, but do you find that even so, there are people who get restless or upset about something? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I And I think that the, you know, the sort of training ground for that, the sort of, you know, pipeline that, 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 that infuses that uh, into our society is uh, social networking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people who write, you know, sort of, uh, I, I know, both mean things and, and you know, sort of lack of tolerance kinds of things. It's the same people that yell stuff out their car window, I think. <laughs> There's this anonymity, yeah. obviously, to, you know, being online. And, um, uh, yeah, there are just... So many people that I think sit around waiting, hoping breathlessly to be, quote unquote, offended Mm -hmm. so that and this is the part that really strikes me as odd so that they can retweet it and (laughs) say, look how offensive this is. Right. Now, if I if if I find a gross substance mm-hmm. that smells really bad and looks disgusting somewhere outside of my house, I don't bring it inside to show people. <laughs> so this idea that there's something – and by the way, I, I have certainly been guilty of um, – fortunately, I don't think it's happened often. But I can think of a joke that I wrote on Twitter one time that I just really didn't think through very well. Mm-hmm. And um, – it wasn't it, it it wasn't a joke about what people got upset about um they didn't sort of get the point of the joke uh, but if i had thought it through a little bit more carefully um i wouldn't have said something that could even be interpreted that way mm-hmm. and uh and 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 you know people were all over it so fast and, and it was like nothing that I had ever done or said in my life could counterbalance for these people, you know, the horrors uh, of this one <laughs> comment. And it, and it's, it just seems not right mm-hmm. to me somehow, you know. Um, uh, but it, but it really really is people laying in wait to catch you saying something that you that you regret saying. It's really a. a um, an unwanted, uh, um, what's it called? Like a byproduct of mm-hmm. social networking. Well, I also, I, think, I, I also think if you try to make it up to them, you're wrecking their fun too. If you try to make it up to them or say something nice or mollify them, you're kind of wrecking their fun. I mean, they really want to be angry and miserable about this. Yeah, I do think that's true. So you're I better think, off you know, doubling down on it. You know, I I tend not to be offended by by most things and 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 I, try, I and I tend to find lots and lots of things funny because it's just so much fun to laugh mm-hmm. it's just it's so it's so mentally healthy to laugh it's so much fun to find things funny 
uh, and the other way around is just not much fun. Um, and so I tend to be pretty wide open um, to that which, you know, to that which amuses me. I remember when my kids were in, uh, you know, uh, like elementary school, and they would send out the uh, rules. Uh, and one year, Allie was in uh, Miss Talbot's fourth, fifth grade class. And uh, the, the, the rules came home that year, and, and they tried to sort of tweak them each year as if we just as parents weren't getting it somehow. Mm. Um, so this, on this particular year, one of the rules was that your child may not use offensive language. And so I wrote to Miss Talbot on the side of the rules. I said, you know, Miss Talbot, what offends you probably doesn't offend me. Mm. And what offends me likely doesn't offend you. I said, if you will give me the list, I will gladly go over it with my daughter. And uh, she wrote back in this very school marmish hand, she wrote, we only use school words, which uh, I defy anybody to tell me what that means. I I assume what it means is that if there's a couple of kids that are getting a little out of control on the playground and one one guy swings his backpack and clips the other guy in the back of the head with it, that the that the guy gets hits is supposed to say protractor. Right, <laughs> right. Aristotle. Yeah, um, yeah. School words. Um, yeah. I think a good rule of thumb. One of your colleagues at Wait Wait uh, Don't Tell Me, Roy Blunt, once wrote that uh, his daughter said, "I try never to say fart unless I've heard someone else say it first. Um, <laughs> you know, in any milieu, that's a pretty good. You know, that's a good guideline. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I think that's brilliant. This is an interview I recorded recently with Paula Poundstone. We thought it was going to be a short conversation. It turned into a whole show. Hear the rest of it when we come back. I got in a, I got in a fight the other day over a parking space at the Museum of Tolerance. <laughs> They're just, we're not that, we're not that, we, for example, my family were atheists. Um, and uh, they, they're not particularly tolerant of that where I live, I must say. Uh, and, you know, really, the good thing about being an atheist is that we have no mandate to convert anybody. So you're not going to wake up on a Saturday morning with me at your door. We, I, I never go like, ding dong, just stop by to tell you there is no word. I just brought along this little blank book I was hoping you'd take a look at. Even my, my kids get upset with me because um, we don't celebrate Easter. Uh, I say to them, first of all, it's not a part of our religious beliefs. And second of all, you don't like eggs. And thirdly, you don't look for anything. Happy Easter, go find your socks. I know that Paula is famous for loving junk food, but Pizza Hut stuffed garlic knots are the sign of a dying civilization. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Greg Hill tweets for us at WNPR Colin. Our interns are Tiana Duquette and Benjamin Esty. The part of Bill Curry was played by Robert Lowell. For show pages, photos, articles, and videos of the Here and Now staff dropping Zantac with Timothy Leary, go to our website, wnpr.org slash Colin. On tomorrow's show, the nose buzzes about the debut of Samantha Bee. And now, back to Colin.
Do you find that, I remember seeing you as a comic before you had kids, and there was a very funny thing you do. You may not remember it. You did, you were very, I, I think it was about being, maybe being at a skiing place or something, and you were looking at people with their kids, and the kids were like crying because they couldn't have a candy bar out of the candy machine, and you, and you because you didn't have kids, you said, I think maybe I'll get two candy bars. And, I totally forgot that. Yeah, I and, did used to say that. And then I think I'll take them up to my room and eat them and watch television <laughs> as late as I want to and go to bed whenever I feel like it. Okay, so you're laughing at that now. I'm just sort of wondering. I mean, I'm guessing that that piece of comedy looks a little bit different to you now that you've been on the other side of that. Yes and no. <laughs> yeah. I honestly had totally forgotten doing that. I can even remember how I would wiggle my fingers when I said the word two. Mm-hmm. Two. Um, I used to do a joke where I said that I couldn't stand babies on the airplane. And I said, you know, they know now what causes pregnancy. And so if people are planning a trip, just don't have sex. Uh, and I would say that I hated babies on planes so much that if they offered – two different kind of flights, like babies and no babies flights, mm-hmm. that I would, even if I had to stay in town a day or two more, I would wait around for the no babies flight. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, the tide turned on that. It's so funny because it, it did used to annoy the hell out of me, babies on planes. It did. Mm-hmm. I wasn't kidding when I said it. But you know what? My children can't understand this at all. So maybe it's just something that happens at a certain age. I love babies so much that I have had times on an airplane where there was a baby screaming and I switched my seat so that I could sit near the screaming baby Mm -hmm. sometimes to offer to help the mom a a little bit because been there done that and sometimes because I know that the person that is sitting near the screaming baby probably can't put up with it the way I can uh, I'm, I'm, I just I, want to say, I want to say Gandhi wouldn't have done that. So uh, that's impressive. I was on a flight one time. I forget from where to where. But there was a woman, I believe she was African, and she had a kid. It wasn't an infant. It was more like a, a toddler but little, you know, under two, I would say. And the poor kid was just, she didn't have anything for the kid to do, and uh, and, and the kid was just having a fit. And she didn't speak English, or she spoke very, very little. But I was able, you know, sort of with gesturing and, and, and the way that people with without a common language do, to ask if she would like my help. And she sort of, you know, shook her head. And I moved over. And I think for the kid, just the idea that I was talking to him was so entertaining to him in a way. I mean, he was just sort of stunned by my presence. Mm. And I don't know, we just did stuff. I think I took out a piece of paper and we drew and we, I talked to him even though I knew he had no idea what he was. When people went to leave the flight, I swear this is true, it was a small plane, but as people went to leave the flight, including the flight attendants, they thanked me on the way off the plane because I think in the beginning it had seemed like, boy, this is going to be a, you know, a hellacious trip. And it is one of my fondest travel memories. My kids are like so embarrassed, by the way, whenever I gravitate to a baby. The other day I was with my son and my daughter in a store and my daughter pointed out to me that there was a baby down the 
aisle somewhere. So I walked down the aisle to talk to the mom and the baby. And then later, my son went up to her and said, well, where's mom? And she goes, I bet she's still talking to that baby. (laughs) (laughs) And indeed, I was. I don't know. I, I miss my children being babies so much. Maybe it's because, you know, they don't answer you back. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's that. I'm not really exactly sure. I just find babies absolutely fascinating. You're still opposed to letting the babies fly the planes, right? Yeah, I've changed my mind on that. But yeah. it, it is so funny because I really did feel this very, very strongly in the in the past. Mm. Uh, I can remember just really like loathing the idea of even a kid on a plane. And now I feel, you know, the polar opposite. I'll tell you what I can't stand to see. Mm-hmm. I can't stand to see parents hand, hand a kid you know, an iPad or a smartphone. Mm-hmm. It breaks my heart. Well, you've actually, um, that's something you've kind of been involved in a little bit and been a little bit vocal about, even up to, and talk about something you probably didn't think, you know, back in the child-free years you would be thinking about. Have you gotten concerned about the way math is taught? Any computer, let's do this online, academic endeavor, mm-hmm. I think is wrong at this point. I didn't always think that. I, when schools first started, you know, moving in that direction, I was all for it. But see, my kids, particularly my son, is just the right age to have sort of gone through that experiment and disaster, disaster. <laughs> and it turns out, um, you know, we brought a computer into our home because words like educational kept being used mm-hmm. surrounding it. And it turns out that um, those claims are not true. Screen use is overstimulating to the developing frontal lobe and causes far more problems than it could ever solve. And people always like to argue. They'll tell me, well, yes, but it's helpful for this. But yes, it's good for this. Well, you know, some of those claims may well be true, but they are hardly offset by the dangers. And you can see it. And then and then people will say to me, well, what studies? What Cite your sources there. You know what? My source, although there are studies and many that back up what I'm saying, But my source is my eyes. Mm -hmm. I look around and I see what I see and it's not healthy. I live in a, you know, a a cesspool of guilt over this because I did bring the computer into into my home. I put my son in front of a computer when he was three because I didn't know any better. And it's done real, real damage to him. Uh, he, He has very, very severe electronics addiction, which is a real thing and people need to recognize it. But, you know, when I talk to people about this and obviously I'm, you know, I'm telling them something really personal and, you know, I, the only reason I share it is because people need to know the, the downside of this. But oftentimes people will say, yes, but the video games are good for hand-eye coordination, mm-hmm. which I just find a stunning comment after what I've said. First of all, unless you have a severely disabled child, there's not a dinner table in the country where a kid just randomly tines the side of his face with his fork to such a degree that one parent must turn to the other and say, I think it's time for World of Warcraft. I just, I mean, we're behind in a lot of things. We're behind in math. We're behind in science. Hand-eye coordination, I don't think, was a deficit for us. No, and, you know, paper airplanes are good for hand-eye coordination, too. I mean, yeah, Yeah, right. There's a a ton of other ways of, of, uh, and by the way, the really, really, really uh, shocking elephant in the room is the role that uh, video gaming has played in the lives of so many of the shooters. Mm-hmm. No one ever talks about it. People sort of pretend that's not there. That's not happening. It is huge. 
I don't know. I, I also think for adults, you know, we always talk about it like it's a problem with the kids. It's all of us. Right. I do it too. I, I, I don't game, but I find myself checking. I check my email so often sometimes, and it's, it's just a compulsion. If I check my mailbox that many times, my neighbors would do an intervention. <laughs> well, yeah, I feel like sometimes I get up in the morning and I'll, I'll read the physical paper, which I have delivered, uh, two papers. But it's like my eyeballs are actually hungering for something else. My eyeballs are going, no, this doesn't glow. This isn't yeah. – This is. I, we want to look at something that's bright and glows. Bring us to the well, computer. They find that um, information taken in from a page is retained better than information taken in uh, from the screen. But radio, uh, best of all. Um, yeah, it's a very good way. Paula Poundstone will be at the Fox Theater in Foxwoods Casino at fri- on Friday, February 19th at 8 p.m. You can buy tickets at the Foxwoods website, or you can call them, 860-312-5050. You'll never remember that phone number. But uh, Paula Poundstone, it's been great to talk to you. It's like I was – I'm like a baby. I was crying before you came on the air, and something about you just calmed me right down. Wow, that's nice to hear. I feel like I can, I'm ready for my nap now. I hope I've helped with the development of your frontal lobe. <laughs> yeah, I think you have, although it might be a little bit late to do development. I think we're just <laughs> we're, we're, it's more like the beach is eroding and we're trying to salvage as much of it as possible at this point. I don't know. There's stuff about the brain that they still don't know. I hold out a hope that you can continue to develop. I, I'm going to go out in the newsroom right now and practice keeping a balloon in the air. But thanks for talking to me. Thanks so much. It was fun.